All right, greetings to all of our campuses. We are so glad you are all here at Christ Community. You know, I love our church and I'm so excited about all God is doing here. You know, if you're relatively new here, we want you to know that you matter, you belong, and you can make a difference in your family, your community, and in the world. I mean, that really is the invitation that Jesus offers all of us. And as a church, we're committed to helping people experience that. And so again, we're, we're super glad that you're here. Okay, so, so I need to take a minute and just let you know about something major that's coming up in two weeks. And I'm not talking about the Super Bowl, okay? Um, in two weeks, um, the weekend of February 6th and 7th, I'm going to be unveiling a vision that God has given to our church, a vision that will impact the lives of thousands and thousands of people in our city, in our region, in our world. And so I'm just saying you don't want to miss church that weekend. Um, in fact, during the month of February, we're going to be looking at this vision um, through the lens of the book of ne Nehemiah. Um, and so I cannot wait. God is speaking. I, I think so. he wants to speak some amazing things to us as a church during that month. And so please make it a priority to be here during the month of February and especially the first weekend of February. I promise it will inspire and, and challenge you. So don't miss it. Okay, so in our household, uh, there are a number of us that are kind of into exercise, okay? So some of us, you know, some are doing P90X and others dabble are dabbling in T25 and Pio. And, and the thing that I've noticed about all of these exercise DVDs is that everyone in them is in perfect shape, right? Um, their bodies are toned. It doesn't like to look like they're even working hard. And I totally understand why on a video like, like that, you would want to put your best foot forward. You would end you know, up showing, you know, where you can get to if you're watching these videos. I totally understand that, but just once, just once, I would love to see some ordinary people on an exercise DVD. You know, a guy with a boomer belly, right? Or a, a mom that doesn't have six-pack abs, you know? Someone who actually sweats and is out of breath. I mean, people who aren't perfect, which is actually one of the things that I love about the Bible. People who haven't read the Bible assume, often assume that it's filled with perfect people, that the main characters are pious religious types who can't relate to the rest of us. But, but when you actually read the Bible, you realize that it is filled with ordinary people, people just like you and me with weaknesses and fears and doubts, but on a journey to experience a relationship with God in the context of real life. And because these people are ordinary, it can be an incredible encouragement to us to know that this kind of life with God is accessible to all of us. All of us can have a very real connection to God. And one of the ways that connection to God or with God can happen is through prayer. We are in the midst of a teaching series in which we're talking about how we can grow in our prayer lives, how we can connect our heart to God's heart. And we're learning from the example of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was not a priest. He was not a religious leader. He was a working man. He was a working man doing his job. And yet in the midst of his everyday, ordinary life, he had a deep connection with God through prayer. And by using him as an example, all of us can experience that same thing, a deeper connection with God through prayer. 
So if you have your Bible or a smartphone or iPad or whatever, if you brought something like that, please turn to Nehemiah chapter one. It's the Old Testament there. Um, Nehemiah chapter one, just to set the context, Nehemiah is of Jewish descent. He works for King Artaxerxes, who is the king of Persia. One day, Nehemiah hears news that his hometown, the city of Jerusalem, is not doing well. Um, The walls of the city are broken down. The city is very vulnerable to attack. And Jerusalem was really at the heart of the Jewish people. Okay, so this is a very big deal. So how does Nehemiah respond to this news? He prays. He prays. It's his instinct to pray. Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so we spent a couple of weeks looking at this verse. We learned, first of all, that God's invitation to us to pray is to come messy. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We can come angry. We can come filled with doubt or grief or even our own sin. We can come to our loving Heavenly Father just the way we are. We also saw how in this verse, Nehemiah fasted as well. And so in the second week of this series, we talked about the power of fasting. And I I called us as a church to fast for all or a portion of five days, focusing our hearts on these nine areas of need in our city and, and in our world. And many of you, many of you took up that challenge, you know, and I, so I'm really, really proud of you. Um, I've talked with a number of you who had never fasted before, but you were choosing to do so. And God did some really cool things. I'm continuing to hear stories of just what God did in, in people's hearts. You discover those of you who were new to fasting, you discovered how fasting is this unique opportunity to experience incredible grumpiness and intimacy with God at the same time. Okay. So, so that's a really, really cool thing. Okay, well, then in verse 5, Nehemiah launches into this very powerful prayer to God. And so last week, Pastor KJ did a great job helping us see how the focus of prayer is ultimately God, his character, his promises. When we focus on God, when that's really the heart and the focus of our prayer, when we focus on God, suddenly we, we pray. We can pray with greater power and greater confidence and greater faith. Okay, all that's where we've been. So today, we're going to continue to look at at this prayer in chapter 1, because in it, we discover another dimension of prayer. We learn that prayer is not only to be focused on who God is and his heart, but it also involves a deeply personal dimension. It's deeply personal. Real prayer is deeply personal. And so there are two aspects of this personal dimension of prayer that we're going to look at today. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, where we see the first aspect of this personal dimension to prayer. Let me read this verse. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. 
Okay, so what exactly is happening here? We know Nehemiah's heart is broken about the situation in Jerusalem. He's been weeping, fasting, praying for days. His heart is broken, and he wants to do something to help. He wants to go rebuild the city, but he's going to need permission from his boss, the king. He's going to need some time off, maybe some sick days or whatever, but this is a big request because Nehemiah had an important role on the king's staff. He was a cupbearer to the king. So he tasted the wine and, he, and the food before the king ate it just to, and drank it just to make sure that, that it wasn't poisoned. So he was sort of like the secret service, okay? He was in an important, trusted position to the king. Okay, so Nehemiah knew he was going to have to go to the king, the most powerful, one of the most powerful men on earth at this time. He was going to have to go to the king and ask this huge request. And we know from chapter 2 that he's nervous. Nehemiah is nervous. He's fearful about this meeting. So before he goes into the king, he includes this in his prayer. We just read this, but let me highlight it again. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, I, I love this. I love this. Because think about the context from the last several weeks, and you can look at it yourself, the context. For several verses before this, Nehemiah has been praying these very big prayers that focus on the promises of God and the glory of God and his faithfulness to his people. I mean, big stuff. But he has no problem ending his prayer to the God of the universe, he has no problem ending his prayer to the God of the universe with this very specific, very personal request for God's provision in a very specific situation, a specific conversation. Help me. Help me when I go talk to the king. I need you, Lord, to provide me favor in the eyes of the king when I meet with him later today. I mean, this is, this is so cool. What Nehemiah shows us is that real personal prayer involves praying specifically for provision, for God to provide what we need. See, I love how Nehemiah feels totally comfortable bringing to the Lord a very specific request like this. I mean, he needs God to provide grace for him in this meeting. And he asks God, he asks God to do that. And I think, it, you know, I, I think it, well, it's so easy for us, it is so easy for us to fall into a trap of viewing prayer as being reserved for world peace or curing cancer or ending a drought. You know, really, really, really important things. But that God, God doesn't, doesn't have time to deal with our day-to-day, -day, you know, personal requests. He has more important things to do. You know, we, we really shouldn't bother him with these minor things. After all, he's kind of busy running the universe. But Nehemiah shows us that it's okay to bring to God these very personal day-to-day -day things that are on our hearts. In fact, it's important that we do so. It's really important that we do so. A few years ago, I was teaching a series about prayer and, and how God wants us to come to him with anything on our heart, even if it feels trivial. And, and I made a reference in that message, I made a reference to a, a Christian radio uh, disc jockey, a radio personality, who I had recently heard on the air. Um, and he was talking about some of this, and he was kind of making light. He's a, he's a really funny guy. But he was kind of making light of the idea of someone, he had heard about someone praying for something like the colors that they should choose for this couch that they were going to buy. And they were praying about this. And he, you know, and he, was, he was sort of making, you know, just kind of making a little bit of a joke about that. And, 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 and I, I, didn't, I, didn't use this, I didn't use the radio personality's name in 
my message. I didn't, I didn't use that, but I did say I'd heard this Christian radio person. But someone in our congregation figured out who it was, and they decided to email him the audio portion of my comments in that message. So one day, I'm sitting at the DMV here in town, and I'm with my son waiting for him to get his driver's license, and a friend of mine texted me, hey, you were on the Wally show this morning. Um, what? You know, sure enough, Wally had played this portion of my message where I told this story about how our family was driving through Las Vegas one summer. And one of my kids, one of my kids had heard how awesome Las Vegas buffets are. And, and they had their hearts set on eating at a Las Vegas buffet. Well, it was, a, it was like 1.30 in the afternoon. We hadn't had lunch. We're driving through. I'd never been to Vegas. And so I'm driving through kind of the main strip and, um, and, uh, and so I'm, and I'm desperately looking, right? I'm looking, where do we find a buffet? <laughs> you know, no clue. And by now we were already well through town. I had no idea what to do. And so I, I prayed quickly. I just kind of prayed, God, please help me here. You know, I have a child that really wants this. Help me, help me find a Las Vegas buffet. So at that moment, I noticed our vehicle needed some gas. And so I pulled into this gas station. And while I'm filling up the car, there is this video advertisement thing. You know, there's this person always talking on this video, which I usually would ignore. But the guy on the screen starts talking about, I don't know, Shorty's Casino or something where they have this all-you-can-eat buffet all day long. Thank you, God. So, um, so my point... My point when I told that story in this message was that God doesn't necessarily care about Las Vegas buffets, but he does care about the things that are on my heart and that are on your heart. On that day, in the midst of all the other important things that God was doing, he answered my very specific prayer. So Wally played this section of my sermon on his show. And then uh, he and his co-host discussed the issue a bit further. He joked about a pastor being in Las Vegas. And, and it, was all, it was all very funny to me. He's really a funny guy. He's hilarious. And, and he's a great guy. And so it was all very funny. I, I wasn't offended in the least. Um, although um, I realized we had a, a bit different perspective about prayer. In fact, I emailed him um, after, soon after that. I emailed him thanking him for the airtime. Um, and then I jokingly asked him to tell me who ratted me out. Um, but he, you know, he didn't tell me, by the way. But we had a, a good-hearted exchange about all of that. It was really fun. Um, and by the way, whoever you are, uh, please, please, don't send a copy of this audio to Wally. We've moved on, okay? He and I have moved on. We're good. Just, just, just leave it, okay? Um, but, but I tell this as an example of how sometimes the cynical part of us struggles to believe that God would care about minor things in our lives. And I totally get that. I mean, we all have a little bit of a cynical part of us. I totally get that. We, we, we feel foolish praying for little things. But I believe God wants to remind us that he does care. He wants us to pray about whatever is on our heart. Soon after that Wally episode, I think I was talking to Raylene about it and uh, what had happened and, and does God care about those things. And she reminded me, she told me of something that had just happened to her. She was in our backyard with our son Josh, our special needs son Josh, and he loves action figures. And there was a particular one that was his favorite. It was a Robin, so Batman and Robin, but it was the Robin um, action figure. And, and the Robin's kind of hard to get if you've checked it out online. It's kind of hard to, to get that action figure. So, so he loved this one. And some 
somehow it had gotten thrown into this massive section of bushes and ground cover in our backyard. I mean, massive. No one except Superman maybe could have found this thing, okay? We didn't know where it was, and Josh was very upset. He was crying, he was, and, and, and he was very upset, and they were needing to go to an appointment, right? And so in desperation, Raylene prayed for God to help her find Robin. And right then, she looked in one spot, just kind of stuck her hand in one spot, and there it was. Um, I mean, God cares about the things that are on our hearts. So how do you feel about this kind of prayer? I mean, perhaps, perhaps um, you daily practice it. You have no problem bringing to God all the small concerns in your life. You have no problem with it. But maybe others of us here are kind of like Wally, you know, a little more cynical about God's interest in your day-to-day stuff. Perhaps you've never wanted to bother God with the minutia, the, 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 or the, with the issues, the smaller issues in your life. Wherever you're at on this, I believe God wants to remind you that he loves you, that he loves you, and that he cares about the things that matter to you. Paul Miller, in his excellent book on prayer entitled A Praying Life, which, by the way, it's a great book. If you're taking notes, write it down, because if you're looking for a book on prayer, that just it's, it's really a significant book, so practical. Paul Miller is the name of the author, and the book is A Praying Life. But anyway, he says this. He says, you can summarize all of Jesus' teaching about prayer with one word, Ask. Ask. Jesus urges us to ask. So let's do that. Ask for help on that test you have this coming week. Ask for help in finding lost keys. Ask for help for a specific conversation you need to have. Ask him for what you need. Now, this doesn't mean he's always going to do exactly what we ask. He is not a vending machine. You know, there is a mystery to this whole prayer thing, you know. But as we said the first week, prayer is ultimately about relationship. It's, a, it's ultimately about relationship. God loves it. Because it's about relationship, God loves it when we come to him with anything that's on our heart. He loves that. Okay, so where else in scripture do we see this encouragement to pray about our daily personal needs. The Lord's Prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us how to pray. The disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, and this is what, what he said. And so he went into the Lord's Prayer. And in, as part of that, part of the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us today our daily bread. Bread was a very basic, very everyday need, um, Jesus is encouraging us to make sure that in our prayer lives, we pray specifically about day-to-day things, about very, about very practical things that are on our hearts. God, apparently according to Jesus here, God is not too busy. He is not too preoccupied. He wants us to come to him with these things. He wants us to pray to him about anything that is on our heart, anything that we need even when we think it's, it's too trivial for the God of the universe to care, he does care. So that's the first aspect to personal praying. It's praying specifically for provision. Pray specifically for what you need. Well, we see a second personal aspect to Nehemiah's praying. A few verses earlier, 
in this prayer. And this is in verses six and seven. <coughs> Excuse me. And here's what we read there. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. So the focus here is on confession. Confession. Nehemiah is confessing to God. He is confessing both the sins of his people and also his own sins. Now this aspect of confession is, is a very important part of prayer, but I think it's often a misunderstood aspect. And it's really, really important that we unpack this because I think a lot of people, yeah, I was supposed to confess my sins, but I don't think we, I think many of us don't completely understand or we may misunderstand why confession is important. Why should we confess our sins to God? I mean, if Jesus has already forgiven us on the cross, right? He's already paid for all of our sin. Why? Should we confess? Why do we need to ask forgiveness again? We're already forgiven. Why would we need to do that? And again, that's a really important question that has huge implications regarding our relationship with God. See, some of us think, some of us think that when we sin, God removes himself from us, right? God removes himself. He rejects us. He distances himself. He withdraws his fellowship from us. Our relationship is broken. Any number of those descriptions, but you know what I'm talking about, and so, so we think that when we sin, God turns away. And so what we, and this relationship is, is no longer. And so we need to confess our sin in order to restore this. We need to confess our sin in order to restore this relationship. But that is, that is to miss the heart of the gospel. We talk about it all the time around here. Jesus died for all of our sins. Once we are in Christ, God never turns away from us. Because Jesus already did the heavy lifting. He already paid for all of our sin. God never turns away. Our relationship with him is never at stake when we truly understand the gospel. Okay, so then the question, why do we confess our sins? If, if, the, if our, our relationship is not, in terms of the way he views it, is not at stake, then why do we confess our sins? Once we're in Christ, why do we do that? Now, this is, this is all about perspective. From whose perspective are we viewing this? When we confess our sins to God, it doesn't change anything from his perspective, but it does change things from our perspective. So let me borrow an illustration I read recently. Let's say that while I'm teaching here, I take my watch off, which as you've heard most, pa when they do that, it means absolutely nothing, right? Um, but let's say that a pastor, I'm up here, I'm teaching, I take my watch off um, so I can kind of see the time. And then let's say that when I'm done teaching, I forget that my watch is here. Okay, so the service ends, my watch is up here. And, and someone comes along after the service, a friend of mine, a friend of mine comes up after the service and he sees my watch and he thinks, I, I'd like that, you know? And so he takes the, the, the watch for himself. He puts it in his pocket for himself. And let's say someone else in our congregation sees this happen. And so they run and tell me. They run and tell me what's happened. So now I know that my friend has stolen my watch. But let's say I decide that I'm not going to say anything to him. Instead, I just choose to forgive him in my heart. Right? I'm not, I choose to not hold this offense over his head. I'm just letting go of this offense. I, 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 I've forgiven him. So the next time that we see each other in the lobby, my heart is filled with love and compassion for him. But how does he feel? 
he feels horrible. He feels ashamed. He feels guilty. He can hardly make eye contact with me. See, what has happened to the experience of our relationship from his perspective? It's totally different. You see, this, this is, that's, that's exactly what sin does to us. It, it, it doesn't in any way change God's heart towards us or his love for us. It doesn't cause him to remove his presence from us. No, no, no. But it does impact us. It impacts our relationship with God from our perspective. It impacts our experience of our relationship with him. So let's say my friend in his misery um, decides to come to me and he confesses his sin and he gives me back my watch. And I tell you, I, and I tell him, you know, I've already forgiven you. I've already forgiven you. See, again, my heart is no different towards him, but his heart is now freed. His heart is now freed. The guilt that he was carrying, the shame that was damaging his experience of our relationship, that shame is now gone. He, he is now able to experience the forgiveness that I had towards him all along. See, I had forgiveness toward him all along, but he is now able to experience that forgiveness from his perspective. See, when we confess our sins to God, his heart doesn't change in the least towards us. It doesn't change in the least, but our heart experiences afresh his forgiveness, his cleansing. We can once again live in the reality of intimacy with Jesus. He, he was there all along. He was there all along, but our sin caused us to remove ourselves. I mean, really, this is the story of humanity, right? I mean, when Adam and Eve sinned, Genesis, right? Genesis um, 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they did was hide. First thing they did, they felt ashamed. They covered themselves. And we've been covering ourselves ever since. This is what we do. We hide our sin. No one has to teach us how to do that. We hide our sin. But that doesn't help with the guilt. It doesn't help with the shame. No amount of covering ourselves can remove our shame. See, it's only through confession that we can fully live in the reality of Jesus' blood that was shed for us. Well, now, what's fascinating to note here, um, I think it's fascinating, is the, is the word that Nehemiah uses, the Hebrew word that Nehemiah uses here that's translated confess. This particular word, in its most basic form, means to use your hands to cast something down. That's what it means. To use your hands to cast something down. I mean, what a powerful image of confession. It is to cast upon the Lord the weight, the shame, the stain of our sin, and then to find in Jesus a cleansing that frees our hearts and our lives. See, I, I'm wondering, do we, do we regularly include confession as a part of our prayer lives? I mean, do we regularly ask the Lord to bring to mind any area of sin that we need to confess to him. See, I'm guessing that many of us here, I'm guessing that many of us here carry around boatloads of guilt and shame. 
for mistakes in our past. Some of us are convinced that God will never really listen to our prayers because of what we've done in the past. Some of you young people here, you are believing a lie that because of sexual immorality in your past, God can never use you. It's a total lie. It is a total lie. See, God has already forgiven you. He just wants you to walk in that reality. How? Cast your sin upon him and leave it there. Let Jesus carry your sin and your shame. You don't have to carry that any longer. It's time. It is way past time to cast it upon Jesus and leave it there. And then to start living life in the freedom and joy that comes with being a beloved son or daughter of God. So where else? Again, let me ask on this point, where else in scripture are we encouraged to make confession of sin a regular part of our prayer lives? In the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus was teaching us how to pray, right? i.e. the things that would, 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 would be a part of a well-balanced prayer life. You know, I, I think it's okay that we recite that prayer, people recite that prayer and all that, but I think the power of the Lord's Prayer is an understanding. It shows us a pattern for prayer. It shows us the, 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 uh, the things that are important to God, the things that should be a part of our regular prayer life. That's what it shows us, this pattern for prayer, and that, I think, is what makes it so powerful. Well, in that, he says this. Luke 11, verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. See, I find it so fascinating and instructive that Jesus put this in the Lord's Prayer, which means he, he wants us to regularly live in the joy and freedom of forgiveness rather than the bondage and the heaviness of shame and guilt. So he urges us, he urges us to include this facet of prayer in our regular prayer times. Not once a year, not just when we're in church or whatever, our regular prayer times. So what I do in my own regular prayer time practice, I use the Lord's Prayer as a guide. And so when I get to this section, I, I try to regularly ask the Holy Spirit, is there any sin I need to confess to you? And then I wait and see if the Lord brings anything to mind. Often there's already a sense of conviction about some area in our lives, and we just need to confess that. And remember, in confessing it, we are casting it upon Jesus. We are casting it upon Jesus. That this isn't a confession that, that includes continuing to carry around the guilt and the shame of our sin. No. Jesus wants us to walk in the freedom of his forgiveness to walk in the freedom of his forgiveness. Years ago, I remember watching the movie, The Mission, and in it, Robert De Niro plays Rodrigo, this mercenary soldier who has shot and killed his own brother, and he is racked with guilt and sorrow. Um, and so he decides to do penance for his sinfulness, his sinful acts. 
He joins a small group of missionaries who work with an Indian tribe high above the falls in the Amazon. And it's a location that could only be reached by scaling this kind of dangerous waterfall area, this really dangerous climb. So in this scene in the movie, I mean, if you've, if you've seen it, you probably remember this. In the scene in the movie, Rodrigo doesn't just climb the falls along with everyone else. Instead, he loads all of this paraphernalia from his former life, being a soldier and a mercenary. He loads all of this paraphernalia into a huge net bag and then he ties it to himself and he begins the climb. And so you see him climbing up this very steep area and he's climbing and he's, he's dragging this with him, this incredibly heavy bag. And so he's, he's, he's dragging it with him up this climb to his, his new life in this mission. And it is excruciating to watch as he struggles to drag this weight all the way up to the top of this waterfall. And then as he nears the top, one of the Indians in the tribe that he, that he will be working with comes over with a machete and just cuts the rope, cuts the rope. And you see this heavy weight, this heavy net bag fall just all the way to the bottom of the river. And at that moment, Rodrigo begins to weep. And then he begins to laugh. At the same time, he no longer has to carry the weight of his former life, his, his past sins. He is freed. He is filled with joy at the realization that all of that is forgiven. So let me just ask, do we live in that reality? Do we live in that reality? I mean, some of us here, let's just be honest, some of us here, we can talk about what Jesus has done on the cross. We, can, we know the verses. We can talk about all he's done and all that stuff. We believe in him. But you know what? In our, our daily reality, we're just like Rodrigo. Some of us here are just like Rodrigo. We're still carrying the weight of some sin or sins. Maybe it's an abortion, maybe a divorce, maybe a sexual encounter or an addiction. You, you fill in the blank. We, we feel so ashamed and we believe that we have to continue because this was so bad. We have to continue to carry the weight of that. That this is sort of our lot in life, you know? We're just always going to be on the bench in terms of God's kingdom and all that. You know, this is our lot in life. We've just got to continue to kind of carry the guilt and the weight of this as a form of penance. But you know what? Here's the deal. Jesus has paid for all of that sin. He doesn't want you carrying it any longer. Are you willing to cast it upon him once and for all? See, when you do that, when you sincerely confess your sin to him, he cuts that rope of guilt and shame once attached to that sin. And you are freed to live in the fullness of his love. You're freed to live in the fullness of his love. See, every time we pray, we have an opportunity for Jesus to cut the weight of the guilt that we carry. I mean, such is the power of confession. It's so powerful. So let me bring all this together here by asking, asking this. How personal is your prayer life? How personal is your prayer life? 
See, a lot of us will instinctively answer, oh yeah, this person, I pray to God all the time, all this stuff. But, but, do, but let me just say, do we, do we really go there in prayer? <laughs> I mean, do, do we regularly pray for specific daily needs or do we feel like God is probably too busy with other important things? Do we regularly and specifically confess our sins to the Lord, receiving afresh his forgiveness or do we hide them? choosing to carry around our shame and our guilt. You see, if you're not regularly praying those things, provision and confession, if you're not regularly praying for those things, your prayer life is not as personal as you think. It will begin, it will begin to feel disconnected from your real life. Oh, I'm praying here and saying all these things. This is my reality. This is what I worry about. These are the needs I have. These are the sins I carry. Oh, but when I pray, do you see the problem? <laughs> our prayer life will become disconnected from our real life. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. God wants prayer to be a way of life. So I would urge you, make it personal. <laughs> make it real. That's what he wants. Make it personal. Make it real. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and this incredible invitation to pray that you are the God of the universe, you are King of kings, you are Lord of lords, and you invite us to pray specifically, to pray personally about our personal lives in an amazing way. And I thank you for that, that incredible invitation. So I want to invite, I want to invite you here, all of us here, just in the quiet of your heart, I want you to think about this question. What do you need right now? What do you need is there something you long for, something you need, but you haven't bothered God about it? You haven't brought it to him in prayer because you think it just is too trivial for him to worry about? Let's just take a moment right now and just bring it to him. In the quiet of your heart, just bring that to him specifically. This is more than, oh, bless me, Lord, or, or bless this person. Be specific. What do you need him to do? And ask him to do that. Ask him to provide that. God, thank you for being a God who cares about the things that we care about and that you want us to come to him with those, to you with those things. Jesus, thank you for including this in the Lord's prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Yeah, we want to pray about the kingdom and all these other things, but give us today our, the bread we need. Thank you for including that, reminding us that we can pray about anything that's on our heart. 
And so I pray for that in all of our lives, just that we would grow in that. We would be real in our prayer lives. Even things that, this, that happened this week that we never would have prayed about before. A lost set of keys, a test, whatever. Things we never would have prayed about before that you would free us to ask, to pray about those things. So I pray for that, Lord. And secondly, I want us to just to pray for a moment here about this area of confession. And before we, we specifically um, pray um, to the Lord about confession, I want to stop for a moment and, and extend an invitation because there's an important part of this that, um, that we need to hear, that some of us here need to hear. And that is that the confession that we have, it is in Christ. And so the, the reason we can confess is because we have entered into a relationship with Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And there may be some of you here and you're not certain you have a relationship with him. The Bible makes it very clear. And, and a lot of us, we, we don't understand this. We think that in order to get to God, you have to just be a good person and try really hard and, you know, um, just obey the golden rule and try to be nice to people. You know, we have these lists of things, go to church, all that. And if we do that pretty well, we hope that in the end, God will kind of out, you know, weigh our, and our deeds and hopefully our good deeds will outweigh our bad deeds and, and we'll get into heaven just on our own effort. That doesn't work because all of us are sinners. The scale, we, we can never earn our way to God because God's holy and all of us have sin. And so we need, we need more than just a set of rules to follow. You know, we need a savior because we're drowning we need a savior to save us. That's what Jesus did. He came and he died on the cross for our sins. He died for your sins to pay the price that you couldn't pay. He took the judgment you and I deserved. So the way we enter into this relationship, this personal relationship with God, is by admitting we need forgiveness and by placing our trust in Jesus and asking him to do that and to come live in us. And I believe there are some of you here and you know that's what you need. And so I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now where you can receive Jesus in this way and enter into a relationship with him. So pray along with me in the silence of your heart if this is the desire of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. And there, are, there is no amount of good deeds that I can do to somehow get to you. I realize my, because I'm a sinner, my sin separates me from you, but I don't want to be separated from you. I want to be in a relationship with you. Even though I couldn't do anything to get to you, you came to me by sending your son, Jesus. And Jesus, you died on the cross in my place. You took the penalty that I deserve to pay. Thank you. And I choose right now to receive you into my life. Forgive my sin, past, present, and the sins I haven't even committed yet. Forgive them all through the power of your blood. I choose to place my trust in you. I bring you all my fears and my doubts and failures and questions and sins. I just place it all upon you because you're a big enough savior for all of that. And I ask you to come live in me and change me from the inside out. Father, thank you for anyone who prayed that prayer. I pray they would grow in their relationship with you. Help them grow in that. 
And if you did pray that prayer, I encourage you, talk to one of our intercessors after the service. Let someone know about the decision and also consider jumping into our Alpha course on Wednesday night. You can find more information on our website. A great next step for you to help growing in this relationship, help keep growing. Okay, so back to this confession thing. For those of us here who are in Christ, you know Jesus. Let me just ask, is there a sin that you need to cast upon the Lord tonight? To today, you need to cast upon the Lord through confession. Is there a sin you're carrying? Maybe you've been carrying it for a long, long time. And it's time to cast it upon him through confession, to let him cut the rope of guilt and shame and for you to experience what it means to live in his forgiveness. So let's just take a moment here, just in the quiet of your heart, confess that to the Lord. And maybe you've said those words before, but I I want you to cast it on Jesus and then let go and let him take it and do it specifically in the quiet of your heart. Let's take a moment for that. Thank you for being a big savior for big sinners like us. Thank you for carrying the weight of our sin, no matter how horrible it is or how often we've participated in some sin. When we confess it, you cut the rope, Jesus, of the guilt and the shame. And we pray for that. Thank you. Help us live in the fullness of your love as beloved sons and daughters of yours. So we love you, God. We need you. We trust you. We thank you for who you are. Help us to continue to walk in the fullness of that. All right, we're going to continue to worship the Lord um, and respond to this message by, by singing and by worshiping him. So why don't you stand, whatever campus you're at here, let's stand. Uh, if you want to sit down at some point, that's totally fine. But let's, let's stand now. And, and Jesus, we ask you to set us free now to worship you. Father, we love you. We worship you.